A conviction of Christ is a commitment to try. The very nature of trying implies a belief in change, and as children of heavenly parents, growth is an essential part of who we are. As we consecrate our efforts to change in Christ's name, we will find ourselves becoming more like Him and more prepared to answer those who seek a reason for the hope that is in us. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. The knowledge that I have of having Heavenly Parents helps me feel so loved and have a purpose here on Earth because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Knowing that I have a set of Heavenly Parents, a Heavenly Mother and a Heavenly Father who love me fills me with a deep sense of peace and purpose. It's comforting to know that there's someone there for me to, to that's cheering me on, you know. You, you, obviously you have your earthly parents, but to know that there's someone on the other side that's hoping that you can get there and, and trying to get you there and really is the ultimate support. You know, you think of the love that your parents have and, and then the love that they have. I think a, a problem that we see a lot in today's world is that um, people don't know their divine worth and so they're looking to themselves and they see their own limitations. But as soon as they see and know that they have this eternal potential and they see that the sky's the limit, they look beyond themselves, they look to Heavenly Father and Jesus and they're able to find that worth and the inheritance that we have as divine creatures and be able to know that they can get through whatever they're going through right now, that whatever is happening in this world right now is not the end result and they can just get through it. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Josh Matson. Josh is a scholar of the Bible and Dead Sea Scrolls and a religious educator with seminaries and institutes of religion. He and his wife Erin are the parents of four children and live in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Josh, welcome back. My pleasure to be here. And next to Josh is our special guest, Ryan Wilkins. Ryan lives in St. George, Utah, and has taught seminary and institute in the church educational system for 20 years. He did his undergraduate studies in German and history and received a master's degree in religious education from BYU. Ryan, welcome. Thanks, happy to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thanks for being here today. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in 1st and 2nd Peter. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, through the power of Jesus Christ, I can develop my divine nature. And second, be patiently ready to answer with faith and hope. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Josh and Ryan in footnotes. So Josh, as we jump into our first topic, through the power of Jesus Christ, I can develop my divine nature. What do we need to know from First and Second Peter that can help us better understand this first topic? Great question, Ben. And we, we're familiar with Peter uh, from the Gospels. Uh, Peter is that apostle that's called by the Savior uh, and becomes the chief apostle in a lot of ways throughout the text. 
Uh, so this is that Peter that we're talking okay. about. Now, these epistles that are attributed to him uh, are focused on giving instruction to a general audience. So these are called the Catholic epistles, uh, Catholic with a small c, meaning general, or to a general audience. It doesn't okay. matter what your situation is. It's not written to a specific situation like some of the epistles that we've talked about before are. And so it's very generic in its presentation, but impactful because it can apply to anybody who would hear or see this epistle. It's interesting to know during this time, uh, Nero's the emperor in Rome. And so it seems like uh, this is when the persecution really starts to set in with the Christians, right? And so Peter seems to address that also, which just thinking of the circumstances that we find ourselves at, this is, there's trials mm -hmm. and, and their faith is going to be tested. And so it's, it's almost like the prophet, the chief apostle is, I, I want to strengthen the members of the church, knowing what's coming, knowing the battles they're going to face what are the most important things that I could teach them principle-wise that they could hold on to that will see them through really serious trials that are going to test their souls? Uh, Josh, do you mind taking us there and kind of walking us through what Peter's trying to teach these saints about who they are and how that can carry them through these dark times? Yeah, absolutely. And, set, and setting the stage here, First Peter, we can kind of view as like a uh, baptism or confirmation sermon. Uh, and we actually see this in Acts. We actually see Peter and Paul going out to talk to those who've recently been baptized. And so First Peter is kind of that presentation. These are the things that you need to know as a newly baptized member of the church. And those of you who aren't newly baptized, like you can come in. Uh, but I love this transition and the way that it's uh, set up. And so the, the second epistle uh, attributed to Peter is these are the steps that go beyond the ordinance. And now we're going to talk about what you need to become and not just do. Okay. Uh, can we start reading in uh, maybe verse four? Um, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And this is something that, as Latter-day Saints, uh, uh, terminology that we are pretty familiar with. Uh, Ryan, what are some of your thoughts on uh, just that term, that phrase, divine nature? Yeah, to think about that, that first primary song that most of us learned, I am a child of God, and, and then to just think of the weight of that truth that, that within all of us are those seeds of divinity. You know, that we have heavenly parents, our spirits are literally offspring from those parents. And so that divine nature is already this, this seed. I, and, and now Peter, uh, in this epistle, we start to see now, what do you do with that seed? It's supposed to grow into something and to bear fruit eventually. And so that, that divine nature, it really to me, it becomes everything else in the gospel starts to make more sense to me if I remember the end game of all of this. Right? Why the baptism and why the trials and why, why prophets and why scripture? And the end game is we are becoming to take that divine nature and that seed and to let it develop into our heavenly parents, which is why we left in the first place. Right? And, and I think if you can couch everything else that we, happens to us and everything else that we learn with that being the end goal, things start to fit in. And so I think that's where he's taking it to say, okay, now that you understand some of these foundational principles, remember this divine nature, and now watch how the, the, the gospel will help that divine nature to blossom and grow into attributes and character and who you are. It's all about becoming like Christ and having this charity 
this kindness for others. I, I would love to hear from the audience on uh, your thoughts on how can developing charity help you better understand your divine nature? Ellie. I think um, it really takes me back to the two great commandments that we are given, which is to love God and to love others as ourselves. I think when we put the effort in to learn how to fully love in this like holy encompassing and pure way, it also encourages us to learn how to love ourselves and see ourselves as well as everyone else through the eyes of God, which can be really powerful. And Ellie, how does the Holy Ghost help you create that vision so that you can see others the way that God sees us? In my personal experience, it's really easy to get self-critical and like get into like perfectionistic thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best ways the Spirit has helped me is just by sometimes checking me when I'm having those thoughts, when I'm being sort of self-deprecating or not seeing my full potential. I'll sort of get these like feelings or thoughts that like, that's, that's not how God sees you. I need to adjust my thinking in a way to try and view myself more through God's eyes. You know, thank you, Ellie, for sharing that. Okay, well, let's look at some of these points that he brings up in 2 Peter. Josh, from these attributes, how does this help us develop our divine nature? I love that you kind of get the, the end result first. Okay. If you develop the qualities that we're going to look at from verse 5 through uh, verse 7, then what you're going to get is you're going to escape the corruption that's in the world. Uh, and so that that corruption that's around the saints anciently and around us today, we can escape that corruption if we develop these attributes. And so um, Peter then says, here's what we're, we're going to go. Uh, but he doesn't say you have to have all of it now. It's a ladder. Joseph Smith's great statement that like climbing a ladder, the gospel is about going from one step to the other and moving your way up. And so he says, here's where we're going to start. After you accomplish that at the bottom step, now we'll move to the next okay. one. And so here are those steps. So, and besides this, giving all diligence and to your faith. So start with faith. We add virtue and then virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Now, sometimes when um, it can be difficult, like if I, if I receive a list of to-dos, it's hard to choose, okay, well, which one do I work on? And uh, we had a, a question coming from one of our viewers about this, and I would love to get some of your thoughts on it. Hi, my name is Maggie Advincula. I'm from Bogota, Colombia. And my question is, what is the number one Christ-like virtue that we should be teaching our children so they can understand their divine nature? Okay, so if we're trying to become and to increase and, and uh, develop our divine nature, where do we start? I think it's interesting where the epistle starts, right? If you go back to verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, and then it starts this list. Now, I'm always, it's always interesting in lists to think there may have been a reason on why they put it in the order that it doesn't have to be said mm -hmm. that way, right? They're all interrelated. And, and as we talk about with the fourth article of faith, faith in Christ, right? Not just belief, but, but, but faith in Him. And for me, I, I, that has been so important as I work with young people, whether it's the young adults or the youth. I think sometimes we, we develop this mentality that 
we know what we're supposed to be. We know that there's these Christ-like attributes. I'm supposed to be more patient. I'm supposed to be more kind. But I think sometimes we try to develop it without Jesus. But it's really hard to be like Jesus without Jesus. <laughs> and, and, I've, and I've tried to do that way too many times. And I think this is the key. If I, will, if I will try to be like him, but as I do it with faith in him, that this is like a co-creation, like we're working together in a covenant partnership. And then it unlocks the power to now I'm not just trying to be charitable and kind and patient as a mortal. I'm now connecting with my Savior and his power to become divine. He can empower me to become more than I am. We get an idea in you know what in, in First Peter chapter four, and I, I wanted to ask both of you on your thoughts on in verse thirteen. Uh, but rejoice it as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with you exceeding. What does being a disciple of Jesus Christ have to do with partaking in His suffering? Well, Ben, one thing that this is very evident here, and as we heard in, in Ellie's remark, is that a lot of this comes by experience. Uh, this is towards the end of Peter's life. Peter is going to be martyred in the near future. And so I almost see some of this of him saying, let me tell you what I've learned. Okay. If you'll remember at the end of the Beatitudes, the Savior says, blessed are ye if they shall persecute you. And so being partakers in that suffering of Christ is that they persecuted Christ and you being persecuted with him, you get to feel a little bit of what it's like to be like the Savior. Wow. And I think that's so powerful to, to view our development of divine nature through the lens of suffering, that that's part of becoming like Christ. Ryan, what are some of the footprints that you've walked in uh, that the Savior set before you that have helped you develop and understand your divine nature? I think his, I'm thinking of some of the statements and when the Savior says, why callest thou me good? There's none good but, but the Father. Um, and that his sole purpose was to do the Father's will. And, and then as I try to follow that example of, you know, the Father's good, and I'm here to do his will, and it's not about me, and it's not about my personal comfort. And when I do that, and to see what that does for my faith, right, it, it's not always easy, and sometimes there, is, there has been pushback, there has been some persecution, there have been trials. As I try to follow in those footsteps of just that obedience when it's hard, and then feel that confirmation of, I love you, Ryan, you're doing a good job. You took a step closer to me on that one. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts with us and from the audience as well. Thanks for your experiences. And for those at home, why is it important to you to know that you are a child of heavenly parents? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. I prepare myself to share my faith in Christ by making sure that I'm always doing things to reinstill that doctrine, whether it be reading my scriptures or simply trying to follow his example. I try to share it by who I am. Uh, on my, when I had my mission, I had to knock a lot of doors and didn't have a lot of success that way. For me, it's the way that works for me is, is being an example, showing who I am, showing that I care about people. Those are what's really important to me. I think the moments in my life where I've developed the greatest sense of hope and faith in Christ are like really personal, vulnerable conversations that I've had with friends and family and loved ones where I feel so much love for them and I feel how much God loves them. And in return, I, I understand a little bit of how much love God has for me too. Whenever I go through a trial or a challenge, um, 
I've always been able to rely on the Holy Ghost, Heavenly Father and Jesus to get me through that. And when that has happened, it has just expounded more on my faith and my hope that they will be there for me. Um, and so, yeah, it's through my trials and tribulations that I've actually been able to get a stronger testimony of my hope in Christ that He'll be there for me. The second topic we are going to discuss today is be patiently ready to answer with faith and hope. All right, Josh, you want to get us back in the scriptures and give us a little context before we jump into this second topic? Absolutely. So again, this epistle attributed to Peter, written right before his death in Rome. Uh, and Peter is very familiar with this idea of being patiently waiting. Mm -hmm. uh, as uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, Peter goes through a number of times where he feels that he's already made it, but he hasn't quite gotten there. And so, especially in the first epistle of Peter, uh, this is kind of like a baptism or confirmation sermon. Mm -hmm. This is a, a jumping off point, individuals who've just joined the church. And Peter's saying, hey, here's some things that will guide you on your journey and your path of walking the covenant path of discipleship. And so, Peter is trying to say, you need to patiently be ready. It's not always going to happen. You're not always going to need this faith or this hope, but the time will come. So prepare now for what's going to happen in the future. Uh, is there a verse that can point us to this idea of having faith, having hope uh, within the text? Yeah, so we, we, we see this theme throughout the text, uh, but a couple of times where we see it probably most um, is in chapter 3. And so, first uh, Peter, first uh, Peter, right? yeah, first okay. Peter chapter three. Um, and so, as we come here, first um, Peter chapter three, verse fifteen, uh, Peter uh, writes this: "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." And so, Peter's saying, "Be prepared; people will come; they will ask questions." but you have to be an example of Christian living to be the one that will be asked those questions. All right. Okay, give us an example, Ryan. You know, in, in just your day-to-day -day life, uh, the people with whom you interact, tell us a little bit about some of the experiences you've had uh, by living your faith, and how has that led you to have conversations with others about the gospel? I, I just had a cool experience the other day. Um, I play pickleball. I play a lot of pickleball. <laughs> and, uh, and I love it. And um, it's one of my chances to really interact with uh, people not of our faith. So the other day, one of my friends, uh, JB is his name, and uh, a little bit older than I am. And it, it caught me off guard because you're out recreation and friends and joking around. And, and he said, he just pulled me aside and he said, you and I need to go to lunch sometime and I need to ask you about why you glow. <laughs> you know, and you're kind of like, okay, you know, you don't know what to say in that yeah. moment. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just the hair, you know, the head, the shininess. Um, we did. We went out to lunch. We went out to Chick-fil-A. And uh, he started asking questions saying, you know, I'm around lots of people, but when I'm around you, there's there's something about you, and I want you to tell me what it is. Wow. And, and at first, I felt myself just kind of dismissing it, just being like, oh, you're kind, you know, it's nothing. But I thought, I, I literally thought of this verse in Peter and thought, no, Ryan, this is the point of living the gospel is it should give you opportunities to say, I'll tell you why. Um, it, it's my faith in Christ and it's the restoration of the gospel. It's my covenants. And as I try to live those, I hope it, I hope it looks appealing mm -hmm. because it feels amazing to me. I do feel joy. I do feel 
peace and confidence. And if I can add a second witness Please. to that, Ben, uh, we were living in Tallahassee, Florida, and my mode of transportation was the bus. As I would go, uh, I used that as my scripture study time because it, it was time that I could study and then get to, to campus to, to work. Um, one day a woman stopped me and she said, why does somebody who looks so happy read a book that I've heard nothing but sadness about? Wow. And so she had heard a bunch of stories about what people had said about the Bible and had never taken time to look at it. But she saw that and it prompted the question. And I like to think that the Holy Ghost is the one who's putting that there and then preparing me on the other end to be ready to answer with faith and hope when that question came. And that that gives hope. You know, we, we answer and the, the patience sticks out to me in both of these examples of you just live your life. It's not like you're running around the pickleball court, you know, preaching and telling everybody, hey, come Sometimes. get baptized. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on if you're winning or losing. Exactly. Right? Okay. It's, it's his pickleball shirt. It says, <laughs> ask me questions about my church. But it, it, you patiently just live your life and these opportunities you can answer and give, provide that hope uh, to others, you know, and, and give them a little bit of what they see uh, within all of you. Um, I would love to hear from the audience. How does living a Christ-like life help you give hope to those around you? Summer. My parents are converts. And so they joined the church when I was three because of the example of people that were in the church. And I know for my, my parents, they were actually searching for three years. When I was born, they said, we really want to find a, a church and um, find a religion. And, and they had a really hard time uh, finding the perfect one. My dad was playing in the NFL at the time with the Oakland Raiders, not the place that you think you'd find the spirit. <laughs> but um, he had two people on the team that were members. And he constantly was always looking at them and saying, they're so different. They don't do the things that the rest of us are doing. And after three years of watching them um, just be consistent in the gospel and their principles and Christ-like every day, he finally asked, like, what, what do you guys do? And to think that that one moment and two people who just said, I'm going to follow the gospel, I'm going to read my scriptures on the bus, and I'm going to wear my pickable shirt, you know, and, <laughs> and glow. Um, things like that has affected my family um, in so many ways all these years and decades later. And it's going to continue to do so for my children just because two people said, I'm not going to be of the world. I'm going to live the way I should live. And Summer, because of that experience, because of the way you were raised, what is the hope that you have as we look at what's coming in life and as you look at your future? Well, for myself, um, I'm able to tell my children that their example and who they are to others impacts more than what they think. To be able to prepare my oldest for baptism and to say, this is the covenant that you're making but you're making it not just to Heavenly Father, you're making it to your brothers and sisters on this planet. If you're Christ-like and, and you follow the commandments and the Spirit, you will constantly feel that hope, but that hope you'll be able to give to people that may not have it. That's beautiful. You know, this is exactly what Peter is trying to teach, this idea of, if, if you're, as you join the church, you know, you're, you're going to face, you know, persecutions. You have to be ready to, to stand firm, to, to be strong, to have that hope, to have that faith to continue. Yeah, as Summer was speaking, I couldn't help but think of the words that are attributed to Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
Peter writes, for so is the will of God that with well-doing, doing good things and just living your religion, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So you don't have to try and get out there and get in someone's face. Hey, you don't understand me. Mm -hmm. You don't understand. Just live good. And that will put the silence away. But then he continues as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. And then in verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so he gives some of these ideas and, and I love Summer's story. What would it be like if those individuals who are members of the church didn't treat her father the way that they did? Yeah. And they said, well, we're members of the church. We're going to go off and do our own thing and you can all go sin, but we're righteous. Uh, what, all, what negative effect would that have had as opposed to honoring all men, loving the brotherhood and that brother and sisterhood that we talked about earlier that we're all of divine nature from our heavenly parents? Ultimately, what we're talking about here, standing for you know, your, your beliefs, your convictions, it it's all comes down to living your testimony, sharing that testimony, which is something that Peter uh, is so good at, Paul, sharing their beliefs. What do we learn from, from this text about being prepared to, to share that testimony with that hope, with that faith, when others, when, when, the, when the opportunity presents itself? Well, I think one thing that, that this epistle emphasizes is you don't know when that opportunity is going to present itself. Okay. In high school, I played basketball and uh, we were playing our crosstown rivals and I was shooting free throws and the student section of the opposing school started chanting, where's your Bible? And so I shot my first free throw and then thought, what, what, what's, <laughs> what's going on here? And then I got the ball back and they started chanting it again. Uh, and it wasn't until later I got home, my parents were like, you know, Josh, we were actually really proud that of all the things these students could be chanting at you, <laughs> it's, where's your Bible? <laughs> the impact didn't come until later when I was speaking to a friend, not a member of the church at school, who said, Josh, I was at the game the other night. What was that all about? I don't know whatever came of that mm -hmm. conversation with my friend, but I know that a seed was planted. You don't know when it's going to come. And yeah. so uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, we kind of see this. Um, so after we've talked about it, uh, well, maybe we'll start in verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, so you haven't seen him, but you know that's going to come, ye love in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so we live not seeing what the effects might be, but are you willing to live every day of your life as if it's happening now? You know, Ryan, as we talk about uh, sharing the gospel, having that hope, being prepared, um, have you ever seen with your, with, with your students, uh, in your conversations with them, as you're teaching, um, that there's a sense of fear that comes with sharing the gospel, living their religion. And what is some of the, the counsel that, that you give them uh, when it comes to having the courage that it takes to stand up and live your convictions? Yeah, I think all of us, not even just with my students, I feel that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm a return missionary, I teach seminary and institute, and I still get those, those feelings of fear. And... and you want to say the right thing. You don't want to be pushy. You don't, right? And and so to you want to respect people's agency, but you do. But I love it, yeah. and I want to share it. You don't have to convert people. 
right? Our job is to love, share, and invite is what prophets have taught us. And, and that, that gives me courage that I don't have to do things that are out of my control. I don't have to worry about how people react to how I share the message. My job is to just love and meekly share and make invitations. And if I'll do that, God will take care of his children mm -hmm. and they can use their agency. And so I don't know, that's just been really freeing for me to just remember what is my job and what's not my job. And what a wonderful uh, added testimony to, to, it's what you can do to share the gospel, to patiently be ready to share that hope, to share that faith that we experience through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you both for sharing your insights and your experiences with us. For the audience, thank you so much for being here and joining us today and sharing your testimonies as well. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover in footnotes, so stay with us. The Spirit communicates to me through thoughts and impressions and through warm feelings and warnings if I need to be aware of certain things. The Spirit communicates to me through music. Like, I feel like if I'm sad, I'll like listen to music and just like lift me up. I mainly feel it's through warm feelings in my chest or through simple good thoughts that I hear. It's quiet, so I really do have to listen, but um, when I'm still, and silent, I can hear it. It's never a booming voice or anything like that. It's always a very still, solemn voice in my own mind. I hear my own voice, and it's taken me a while to recognize that that is actually the Spirit 90% of the time talking to me. The Holy Ghost communicates to me through scriptures. Uh, sometimes I will just sit and just have an overwhelming problem, and I will just read the scriptures, and somehow I will um, open up to a scripture that really means something to me. So I, I know that the Heavenly Father knows how I need to be talked to. So the Holy Ghost has been able to communicate to me in those specific ways for me. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about First and Second Peter with Josh and Ryan. All right, guys, you ready to dive back into some of these uh, verses? Let's go. Let's do oh, it. Okay, so on our first topic today, we talked about uh, the idea of divine nature. And I, I kind of want to explore a little bit um, this, this discussion about the divine nature um, that we're born with and then the divine nature, that how we develop that to make sure it's clear that everybody has it. But then now the key is how do we build and strengthen our understanding of our nature and what we can become. Yeah, and I think this this develops in two ways throughout scripture. Uh, the first, and this is exemplified actually in the genealogy of Jesus in the uh, gospel of Luke. It's really interesting that as you're reading in Luke chapter three about the genealogy of the savior, when it gets back to Adam, it says, Adam who was the son of God. And so because each of us can trace our genealogy through Adam, mm -hmm. uh, the author of Luke is writing and in, in an essence, giving a nudge to the fact that each and every one of us are sons and daughters of God because we come from Adam and Eve who were children of God. And so from a, 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 gen, a genealogical idea for all people, we can all trace our lines back to God. And so there's that divinity that's in all of us that's irrespective of our decisions or our religious traditions, anything else, we all fit that category. But then there's a second category that comes with making covenants. Uh, we read about this in John chapter one, that those who choose to follow Christ become the sons and we can add daughters mm -hmm. of God. And that's a little bit of what Peter's saying here. 
again, first Peter is this baptism or confirmation sermon that, that Peter's delivering. And he's saying, now you're entering into covenants and where you were a child of God here by birth. Now we're going to ramp it up a little bit. And now you're a child of God by covenant. And those are going to work together for you to ultimately become like our heavenly parents. You know, when you think about that hymn, I'm a child of God. Yeah, you are a child of God, but there's a progression that you have to work through and grow to be able to return back and fulfill that divine nature that is in all of us. It seems like uh, the epistle starts to weave then together. Okay, here's your efforts as a disciple, but then he uses the phrase grace, the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. There's this divine power that comes and meets. It's that uh, from one of our hymns, he reaches our reaching. Mm-hmm. Right. So as he encourages them in Second Peter one, again, that idea of add to your faith diligence, right? giving all diligence, give dil- you, you need to do some things that, that, that covenant relationship in the covenant. It will be laid out for you what you do. You know, you keep his commandments and take his name upon you and be willing to, to do those things. It's not a, a self-improvement plan. It's not just, okay, now go force yourself to have good habits. It's as you're diligent in a covenant relationship, there's the second half of the covenant, that his spirit might be with us. Mm-hmm. And that spirit is almost like, as we talked about the seed before, the spirit's like that sunlight that comes in. It's the elder Christofferson called the, the Holy Ghost, the messenger of grace. And so now as, as I'm diligently trying to live the gospel, that sunlight of grace comes and ignites and, and does something to the seed that I could never do. It does something to my nature that I could never do just by diligence. And it turns it into just something that is really Christ-like. It turns it into an attribute. And, and so I just love that, that where they come and they, the two worlds meet my efforts and Christ's grace meet. And, the, and that grace isn't just the grace that we sometimes think of synonymously with mercy. Uh, but this is like Elder Bednar's discussion of the enabling power of yeah. the atonement of Jesus Christ. This is something, and, and we go back to the hymn, uh, I am a child of God, right? Lead me, guide me, walk beside me. Uh, that's what's happening with this type of grace, is this is the grace that helps throughout. I often think, as members of the church, we're very familiar with the statement in Second Nephi, that we are saved by grace after all we can do. Uh, and sometimes we get a bad rap for that because it's like, I'm going to work this hard and then Jesus will make up the rest. Mm-hmm. But that word after in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, one of the archaic meanings for the word after is while in the process of or striving to do. So when we, when we quote that, we can say we are saved by grace while in the process of and striving to do mm-hmm. all that we can do. Jesus is walking with us the whole time. whole time. I love that. You see it in 1 Peter 5, verse 10. You know, again, as he's encouraged them to be ready, to, to give an answer for the reason of the hope, he's encouraged them to keep their covenants. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect establish, strengthen, settle you. Again, to to just have this faith and confidence that as I try to keep my covenants, it's going to be happening. Mm -hmm. I don't need to force it. It's just this thing that happens. We might not notice it over time, but if we take like a longer stretch of time, I think all of us would notice that as we really did try to have faith in Christ and as we tried to keep the commandments, he was with us and we are changing. Our, our, my desires for certain things that were maybe of this world, I've, I've started to lose that flavor. Mm-hmm. And my desire to love more charitably, to, to be, and, and you just look back over a longer stretch of time, at least for me, and I think, it's working. 
I don't know if I can recognize it from day to day, but with those longer stretches, like he's with me and he's changing me from the inside out. And I love it. Yeah, and, he, and he's making us complete that, that word perfect. We, we see earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Be therefore perfect, but it's not just not perfect. Flawlessness. It's not flawless. Mm-hmm. It's, it's be complete. And what is our complete nature is to become like our heavenly parents. We could have come to earth as divine children of God, but without Jesus Christ, we would never have been able to make that completeness. We can't grow up in him. That's an interesting, in DNC 109, when, during that uh, dedicatory prayer for mm-hmm. the Kirtland Temple, Joseph prays that they might grow up in thee and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost. Just a fascinating concept, this idea of I am a child of God, but the whole point of a child is to now grow up into something else. And so now with that grace and with him walking by me and giving me power to grow up in him and receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost is, is kind of a cool journey. And it takes a lot of patience. Uh, we, we can't, it's something we can rush. It's not gonna happen overnight. It takes a lot of diligence, a lot of hard work uh, to get to where we need to be. I love that. And one of my favorite verses in all the writings in these two epistles is in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, upon God and Jesus Christ, for he careth for you. And I was looking up one of the other translations, and I love casting all your care upon him. But another Bible translation says, unload all your burden onto him since he is concerned about you. And so as we're going through those challenging times to start to sort out, at least this is the way that my mind works, I have to sort out what am I in control of and what am I not in control of? And if I'm to be honest, I spend a lot of time worrying and stressing about things that I can't control. I can't control the future. I can't control things in politics a lot. I can't control the choices that my teenagers make a lot of time. And I'm not supposed to. And so this idea of unload all of that and deed that to Christ. Deed that to him. Trust that he will make all things right. And if you can deed that over, now I get left to now instead of caring about things that I can't control, I get to care for the things that I do have control of. I can keep my covenants. I I need to care for that. I can care for my family in the way that I love them and treat people. And so it's just, I, I have to remind myself of that verse seven all the time is, is I, my covenant relationship is to unload everything that is out of my control and to deed that over to Christ and trust that in, in the process and in the future. Now I get left to just diligently care for the things that are mine. And, and I love that, Ryan, when we, we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence. So do your due diligence. Our actions, our diligence is a supplement to the light that we get from God to help us become complete and to grow. And that's what uh, I see here in, in 2 Peter is we give diligence to make our calling and election sure for if ye do these things, ye shall not fall. If you're going to be diligent and trust in Christ, guess what? Nothing is going to shake, mm-hmm. shake that. That's the recipe. And, and once we've done that, then in verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can't force my way into heaven. With all the diligence I can give, I have to wait for an entrance to be opened up to me by the Savior himself. And the hope that Peter's been talking about is that hope that it will. I've been promised through covenants that it will. And so I I hold to that and I rest on those promises, which allows me to let go of control of it. I am so sure because of him and my diligence, I, I know that I'm keeping my covenants. And so now I'll get that faith to say, so then I know that he will deliver on the promises. And that's that hope.
Yeah. So how does that translate into your daily living? When you find yourself focused on the things that are in your control, what happens to those things that are out of your control? Some of it's to be continued. I got, okay. There's a bunch of it right now where it's still messy. It's still out of control. But um, other times I've just noticed that me not trying to force it or not trying to manipulate it. Again, I'm thinking of relationships a lot of times. I try to control relationships. I want everyone to be happy. I want my family to be eternal. And <laughs> I know how to do that. I know how to, and I want to force it. It's almost counterproductive. When I try to control what is not something that I should be trying to control, I actually usually do the opposite. I, I, it strains relationships because I'm not doing it in a godly way. I'm not doing it with him. But if I'll step back and let him do his work, it, even though some of them are still in process, the relationships are better because I am caring for the things that I can control. And then my hope is even the ones that are still kind of messy, that are out of control, I know that someday that they will may be made perfectly right. Uh, I think of an experience I had with my children. Uh, there was a time I got pretty frustrated with them because they didn't want to pray and they didn't want to do the churchy things. They were in kind of a rebellion mode and I tried to force it. And you could see uh, in my children's eyes, like, bring it, dad. Like, you keep trying. <laughs> we'll and dig in our heels. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I loved that we faced a, an experience in our, our, our family that required a turning to God and asking for some help. And I'll never forget, it was in this, this period of kind of battle of wills, uh, walking past my twin daughter's room and seeing both of them kneeling and praying. And I thought, wow, like all this time I'm sitting here going, do this, do this, you need to do this, come on, be reverent, sit down for scriptures, listen to what we're doing. But when it really mattered, where did they turn? Yeah. And I, I said, okay, so do I trust this in my own family? that Peter says, just live a good life, do the right things. And guess what? They will see it. Yeah. We read about in these chapters uh, about Noah and, and talking about family. Can you teach us a little bit about the effect that Noah, this small little group uh, has had because of doing some of these things? Yeah, and, and this comes in, in 1 Peter chapter three. Uh, this, uh, 1 Peter is also so valuable to us as Latter-day Saints because it's the only place in the New Testament where we get references to Christ ministering to those in the spirit world during the three days that he was in the tomb. So it's that context that, that uh, the author of, of 1 Peter is, is teaching us this, uh, starting in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus Christ suffered for us, and that us is everyone. It didn't matter if you lived in the days of Adam or you're going to live in the days of the future. He died for us. And because he died for us, now we go to verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So he performs that atonement, and then he goes and says, there are people out there who have not heard this message yet. I'm going to preach to them. So then verse 20, and, I, and I'm going to start with the Joseph Smith translation of verse 20, uh, because Joseph Smith uh, changes this a little to say, some of whom were disobedient in the days of Noah, some that, that the Savior is teaching in the spirit world were obedient in the days of Noah. And I think sometimes we get so caught up of saying, okay, here's Noah and his eight people and everybody else was disobedient. But Joseph Smith gives us this great note that some that Christ is preaching to were disobedient in the days of Noah, but not all. 
And so some of whom were disobedient in the days of Noah, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So God's still waiting. Who else wants to join? Who else wants to come and be a part of this? While the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls were saved by water. This verse is actually kind of a call to say, so if in Noah's day, God could do such a great work with only eight people building the ark, starting a new generation of faithful covenant keepers. What can God do with more? For the context of 1 Peter, what can he do with us as a group of mm -hmm. Christians? And though we may be small, we're not eight small. Right. Uh, for us today as Latter-day Saints, we're around 17 million strong. What good can we do? So in the margins here, I wrote, if Noah, why can't we? So if Noah can do a great work with a small number of people, why can't we do a great work with the great number of people that we have? Ryan, with so much in these, within these books, uh, what are some of the things that uh, have stood out to you that you want to focus on? Um, maybe again, we, we've kind of touched on it in a couple different ways, but uh, just as he does sign off, as, as the epistle ends, at least in 2 Peter 3, just the last verse, I love sometimes, you know, in books and epistles, just some of the last words, because you get their, how do they weave this all together? How do they sign off? And, and in verse 18, 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Um, that to me in that one verse really starts to encapsulate so much of what was woven in those two epistles was growing grace. Uh, DNC 93 tells us that the Savior grew grace for grace. And then later on it says, as you keep the commandments, you too will grow grace for grace. Again, that, that latter approach, that step-by-step, -step, that seed that's developing. And, and then this, and, and Josh had mentioned it a little bit earlier, and in the knowledge of the Lord, that's what we grow in. And knowledge to me, you know, typically I think in, in society, we think of that as an intellectual thing when you think of knowledge. But the scriptures, um, much more a holistic. Like knowledge isn't here, this is knowledge. It, it's that becoming, it's those attributes. So I love this, to grow in grace and to, how could I better know Jesus Christ than to become like him? And I can know about him, but that's not the knowledge that we really want. That's not what's going to see me through these hard times. And that's not what we came for. Mm -hmm. right? We came here to grow in this, this holistic knowledge of the Lord because my heart beats like his heart. My mind starts to think like his mind. My eyes start to see like his. So that I just love that kind of summary of, of, of okay, now that I've, I've written these things, Go engage in the process. Go engage in growing in grace and your knowledge will become like him because you will start to become like him. And eventually we'll see him as he is, right, mm -hmm. in, in Moroni. And Ryan, I love that. For our youth and, and, um, and our children who are watching, that sounds a lot like the children and youth program that we're, we're looking at. And I, I couldn't help but think of the Luke 2.52 verse that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Right. And that's the whole, pro, uh, you know, we're here we're getting close to the end of the year. We've got some individuals that are getting ready to move into the youth program and some individuals that'll be moving into those activities uh, in primary. And for them watching out there, what better way to, to fill that than say, oh, I've got a chance now. I can review what I've done this last year in growing in Christ. And I'm getting ready to set my goals for the next year to grow in Christ as well. So if we go back to section 138, um, this is from President Joseph F. Smith, pondering about the writings. Uh, here it says the writings of Peter. 
and our Lord's visit to the spirit world. What can this modern uh, text add to our understanding of what takes place in the spirit world and the importance overall of this message of, of salvation through, through Christ for all of God's children? No, it, it is so interesting to see this line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, Peter in those writings opens up the idea of Jesus Christ did go to the spirit world during that time in between crucifixion and resurrection, but not a whole lot of details. And then this amazing vision or visions that, that Joseph F. Smith relates to say, and I got to see some of the details. And, and he did go to the spirit world and began by preaching to those who were faithful, who had offered sacrifices and obeyed the law and were faithful to Christ in their covenants. And they rejoiced in their deliverance. So we get to see this amazing, like detailed rejoicing and that they were delivered of, in a bondage. And I don't know if we typically think of bondage in the spirit paradise, <laughs> right? We think of that's rest and there was rest and there was mm -hmm. peace, but without their bodies and without the fullness of redemption of a resurrection. Right. So they're rejoicing in that. And then the scene shifts and he gets to see that it wasn't Christ that went to prison, that he organized his forces is the way that he puts it in the revelation. So that now, even though he could only be there for a couple of days before he fulfilled the next step of his mission, that those spirits in paradise could then teach the gospel continuously now throughout the ages to all souls who had needed. And, and then we get de the details of that, of kind of how that ministering works and that missionary work goes. And, and then our side here on earth of the temple ordinances to complete it. So you just get this whole, to me, like if there was only one thing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's so many parts, but like this is a deal breaker. Like if this wasn't part of the plan, how in the world could God be fair? Like right. how in the world do you really have a plan that makes sense if you don't, like this is so crucial. And it takes my breath away when I think about like how unique this part of the restoration is. And if you just took this one piece away for me, the plan of salvation would start to fall apart because I just wouldn't be able to reconcile a, a loving, just God with all those spirits who never got a chance to know or didn't have the best opportunities to grow in the faith or, or whatever it was. And then you put this one piece in and, and to see the, the loving nature of heavenly parents that will do everything and anything they can, to me, it just is so amazing, that part of the restoration. And what a witness of how God builds on revelation and line upon line and precept upon precept. We get those verses in 1 Peter chapters 3 and 4. And then it's not until 1918. I mean, we, we've, the church, it's almost 100 years since the first vision. But what is so impactful to me is that how many saints were going and doing temple work, not really knowing what it all meant. Right. That we, we had built temples, uh, Kirtland, we had some ordinances, but not for the dead. And then we start doing ordinances for the dead in Nauvoo. And then we, we go through and we refine them in St. George and, and Manti and Logan and Salt Lake and think that saints were faithfully going to the temple on behalf of their dead, not having the full picture. And it really touches my heart when I don't have the full picture about being faithful, or I've been asked to do something and I don't quite understand all of it. Mm -hmm. um, how can I continue and wait on God and with hope and faith that more will come? This story of the receiving of more revelation about Christ's ministry in the, the spirit world is a witness to me that God will continue to reveal many marvelous and great things pertaining to his kingdom. Thanks, Josh. Ryan. I've thought about, uh, we uh, offset, we're talking a little bit about uh, a phrase back in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, 
when Peter talks about hope, he adds the word lively hope. And I just love that idea. For me, as I think about Jesus Christ, as I think about his birth and his life and what it all means for me, is the, for me, the word lively is, is a synonym would be living. There's this living hope that I, I honestly believe that it's one thing for me to know that he was born, but is he born in me? Uh, Elder Bednar invited us to, to not, not just know that Jesus Christ died for us, but he now through the atonement, through the Holy Ghost wants to live in us. That's changing me. I think about that all the time now, and I start to think about, okay, I believe in him, and I even believe that he'll walk with me, but it's almost like a step further. Do I have this lively hope that I believe that Jesus Christ lives in me? I don't know. I think sometimes we think that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are there to judge us, and there will come a day when they will act in those roles as judge, but I don't think that's now. Right now, I think his role is Savior, Redeemer, and friend. And so as he lives in me, I just feel this confidence and this power that, Ryan, we're doing this together. Um, that's, I, I was born in Bethlehem and I went through it and then I lived my life and, and, and suffered and went through the atoning sacrifice so that I can now live in you so that you can now become me. And, and I just, I mean, it, I can't, I, it thrills me. It thrills my heart to think that there is something so magnificent that as imperfect as I am, that if I'm trying to keep covenants, that Jesus Christ can live in me. And, and that's what I've tried to share with my students that has probably made more of a difference in my life than anything else I've ever come across in the Gospels, to feel this lively hope that in a covenant relationship, Jesus Christ can live in us. And then all of a sudden you start to say, what can't we do? Hmm. Come what may, as long as one of those we's is Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what can't we do? Um, and so I love that phrase of lively hope. That's my lively hope. Well, this conversation has given me a lot of hope, and uh, and I love conversing with uh, some of my my brothers in, in in the faith and in the gospel and and in religious education. It's been so wonderful uh, talking with both of you. Thank you so much for for giving of your time and being here with us today, and just sharing of your goodness uh, of your knowledge. As we're entering into this, you know, Christmas season, it's so good to to turn our attention and focus on Jesus Christ. Thank you both for being here today. And thank you for joining us for this discussion from First and Second Peter. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional studying and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we'll cover John, Jude, and Becoming Like Christ. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.